children can be dismissed now. Is everybody staying who's staying? All right. All right. Um, the week before last, seems like every other week I'm kind of getting a message in here lately. I began a message called The Perfect Picture Marriage. Now, when I first announced the title, I saw a few snickers from the congregation. <laughs> it was almost like the husband was turning to the wife and saying sarcastically, what do you know? He's preaching about you and me today. <laughs> I guess the title at first glance seems a bit over the top, unachievable, and perhaps received sarcastically as, boy, this, this ought to be good. <laughs> However, in the first message, we focused on a key word in the title, and that word is the word picture, picture. Okay, A picture is a representation of something. Christian marriages of today, like non-Christian marriages, are not anything about a representation or presentation of anything. If not, what are they? They are unions of two people with dreams of what grandiose lives they will have together in the future, intimacy of the purest, highest, and perfect level, Children, a home, nice things, a church to attend, children, weddings, grandchildren, and the golden years of retirement where a husband and wife fall even closer together in tenderness, sweetness, and care. When it comes down to it, these thoughts of marriage are really a picture of what we described a couple weeks ago as a mutually beneficial reward together, a life that is greater together than that of living apart from one another. But after the honeymoon, what happens when the couple has to deal with pure intimacy failure? Those from before the marriage, perhaps new information that continually gnaw at that relationship or those failures that happen under the umbrella of marriage. What happens to your marriage when children let's say a quiver full of them, make every moment of your day a challenge. In all the ages, perhaps the most difficult into the teenage years and then through the landmines of engagement and weddings. Or what happens to the marriage when you can't have children or go through a continual series of miscarriages? What about when the humble, suitable home is thrown away for a quest for a bigger, better house in pursuit of things that now present new financial problems, of which will be at the cost of your time, talents, and finances to the church? Or what about the church that is struggling to do what it needs to be to your family? Not every church is perfect. As a matter of fact, they're all imperfect. What about those grandchildren? You once had seven children to worry about. Now add to that 16 little ones to that list of worries. Oh, but there is retirement in the golden years where you and your wife run all around the world together to enjoy the fruit of your labor. You see those commercials, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I chuckle at that one. Um, but one spouse does not want to travel. The other may be incapable due to health, or for most people, they can barely exist on the retirement and fight the losing battle of old savings, not able to keep up with extreme inflation. Oh, does that sound familiar today? It's perhaps a time where closeness, tenderness, sweetness, and care turns into, I can't hear you. Are you deaf? Why didn't you do this or that? Or 
Why did you do this or that? A life that turns into a display of bitterness, disappointment, and because you're old, ugly, penniless, and nasty, <laughs> there's no better choice but to hang out in the current marriage you have. That's right. Perhaps there is a second or a third or fourth that you're talking about at this point. Oh, though, if only marriage was like Tom Brady and his supermodel wife. Both in great shape and health with loving children, all the fame you could imagine, all the money you need to fill any pleasure you desire, and very rarely early retirement, and as far as, the average, as far as the average person goes, only working because it's the job you always wanted and loved, and you love going to work every day. Can't dream of anything better, right? That's the, that's the perfect, mutual, beneficial marriage, but I think they just got a divorce after 14 years of marriage. I'll tell you something. I say unto those who have the picture of a mutually beneficial marriage or a marriage held together by moral values and human resolve, you may have a, I don't know, 49% chance of surviving. And I said surviving, not succeeding. To the Christian marriage who attempts marriage in the same way, perhaps a 51% chance of survival. With the way surveys are, though, how do you really know or how do they define that data? I have to say that there may not be any advantage whatsoever, at least for those who picture marriage the way we just described. But there is a different picture of marriage to consider. To emulate the picture of marriage as that of Christ and the church, this picture does not paint the grand uh, picture as the previous one as the goal. It is a picture of difficulty, but it's a picture of overcoming all those obstacles. I mean, it's just like salvation. You don't get saved and things get removed and things get better, but you have the power to overcome. And when you look at your marriage, you better have one that's an overcoming marriage you know there are sure things to come in marriage it it relies on simply beyond human strength and reasoning it is the supernatural power to overcome it's always listed in the bible we don't catch a hold of it and i'm afraid you know i look at the congregation you all need to get a picture of this I don't hear it preach. I, I didn't pick this up from anywhere or anybody. I, I'm, you know, in one sense, when you go into something like this, you kind of feel like, man, you're out on a, you feel kind of out alone on a stick here. But I really feel this makes a ton of sense. There's a different picture of your marriage to consider. The supernatural, same power as we are as the children of God, you know, you think about it as a Christian, those who try to rely on keeping their Christianity and their power and their efforts a work salvation, it's miserable, it's wrong, it's, a, it's doomed for failure. Same thing with marriages. You know, Esther was pondering how, to, how God made us with the principle of how we eat, how he gave us 
pleasure in eating and how wrong eating or excess can be bad for us. What she was doing was seeking God through pictures that God's presented in her life. I was just talking to Andy a little while. He was talking about farming. He said, you know, there's a lot of pictures of farming I could really help you out and you look at it in the Bible. He's right. Brother Mike was talking, I don't know how many pictures he used in his sermons. You may not even realize them. But didn't they really help? You know, he's talking about the spoon and your wife giving you a spoon and taste and the two different ways kind of how that's looked at. I mean, it just, bam. I got it, you know. Pictures are powerful. Especially, we need to look at those pictures in marriage. Let me ask you this. Did God just randomly make the earth, the moon, and the sun? Are they just randomly set in their places? No. Could he have made things differently and achieved the same physical needs of mankind? In other words, could he have made the earth flat with heat and light coming from the earth with no need of a sun or a moon and that we would draw sustenance from the earth through our feet and not ever need to eat? Sure, he could have. But how can you deny the central need of the sun, a picture of Christ for human life. The moon, a totally dark object made to reflect the light of the sun in a dark night and providing a pool upon the ocean waters that deposits its treasures on the beach every day. Is the moon not a picture of the Christian reflecting the light of Christ and pulling on the ocean of God's word to a dark, wanting world? There's pictures in all this. Don't take it for granted. And a lot of what you can get is through the pictures of how God has allowed things to be. Now we started the perfect picture marriage looking at the various aspects of marriage through the picture of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church's bride. We discussed that there are three things that have stood the test of time in a marriage proposal from the man to the woman. The man, the one with everything, on bended need, Humility as a servant offers his life. His word clearly stated, will you marry me? And maybe this is the day when Christ, <laughs> of all people, humbly gives his life and you see him. He's asking you to trust him as Savior. Then there's a ring. There's always a ring in it. The token of promise. Does it sound familiar? The Lord of Lords. He gives his life for your salvation with a clear calling. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit given as a token of promise to come and receive her as his bride one day. Who accepts or rejects the marriage proposal? The rejection of the proposal, a no. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. Don't miss that calling. Christ to you. Then there's the acceptance of the proposal, the yes. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. What object is offered to a woman when the man proposes? And what does it represent and what does it do for her? It's a ring as a promise to receive you in a marriage. It gives peace, comfort, and joy. Spiritually, God gave us the Holy Spirit as His promise 
while he went away. By the way, what does that ring say to the world? We know what it says to her. It says, you are spoken for, hands off. It says, you are set apart for him. It is what holy means in the scriptures. If you start to get the picture, I just pray that you all can begin to develop this picture in your heart and life. It is true for the Christians as it is to the human marriage. It has a forever time frame. Spiritually, it's for eternity. Physically, it's forever in your lifetime. Till death do you part. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knoweth him not. Now, why does this bridegroom go away after engagement? Who is it that is to secure the place to live, to get everything ready? Is it the man or the woman? John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What a beautiful picture. That's what he's doing. We are an engagement to God through salvation. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. What does the woman do prior to marriage or prior to the wedding? She gets herself ready for it. She prepares for it. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. That's scripture there. That's painting a picture. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. Does this better describe the meaning, meaning of a white wedding gown to be worn? before marriage Isaiah 61 10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels what is the most important things to a woman in marriage, and how does she define love? Now, I'm probably not going to get all this right, <laughs> but I wrote down a few things, and I'll tell you I'm going to get in your crawl, sort of say, here. She wants security, family, children, kind treatment, and for you to know her. Security, Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is security. You know, my wife asks me these kind of things all the time. You can, when are you going to turn me in for a new model? <laughs> Those kind of things. What she's saying is, give me some security that you're going to stay with me no matter what. Family. The local church family. Family of your own under your leadership. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. <laughs> okay, there's a specific, there's, there's a local church. There's also a broad church of, of everybody. And, and you know, that's why we have somebody from another church come in here who's wanting to be a missionary to Canada. We, we have an extended family. But, you know, there's some things that I scratch my head about. Like, man, are they ready for this? They're awfully young. But they got a pastor over there, a local church who's looking over and watching over those things. You know, that's not my place. But yet we are still a family and interested about it. Ever think about it? Let's say a wife of someone, and you see her faults, okay? Like you see somebody else's wife and you see their faults. And you think, someone needs to straighten her out. Why doesn't the husband do something about it? But if you dare to go to the husband and let him know his wife's errors, <laughs> you will typically get a sharp rebuke to remind you that to stay out of his business. I want to give you a scripture about this. This talks about security here. Revelation 12, 10, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuseth them before our God day and night. You know, day and night, Satan is accusing us. Okay? First John 2, 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let me tell you what this means. I mean, that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, I got to admit, when a husband's protecting his wife, he's protecting his wife. It's biblical. It's a picture of it. And you think, wow, how can that be? And hey. God does that for us. <laughs> when you became a Christian, Satan no longer has authority on you. You are now a son of the living God. No longer he has authority. He did have authority in your life because he was your father. He can accuse all he wants. He can definitely be right about our misbehavior but he no longer has any place. When the ungodly speak bad about your wife, your children, your church, God's people, or your God, they have no authority. <laughs> Satan's world and his critical spirit, even though Christians is trying to, he's trying to poke his head in, into the Christian family and mess it up, he has no authority unless you give him the authority in it. And that's the problem. He has no authority. Don't give him the authority. Talked about the extended family. 
let's talk about the part of the life of bearing children together. Um, Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the command. That's the thing. We are to bring new children to God. With him. You know, you see the picture in marriage. You know, the main thing is to, to have a family, to, to, to bring, and it's his hair, it's a heritage unto the Lord. We are blessed by it, but it's, it's for him to build it. It's the same thing as the Great Commission. And then for the lady to show kindness. Uh, I think I gave you uh, one of the books we were going through. It talked about a statistic, and that's one of the greatest things women want is to be showed kindness. I know that. I've got to walk on tiptoes, and all you men know it. Sometimes, you know, you've got to be careful of what you say and how you say some things. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, and inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For the which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these. Hear this, men? <laughs> Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And he says this, Put, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. He says, forbearing one another. <laughs> and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Those are some pretty powerful words. 2 Corinthians 6.1, We then as workers... Together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he has said, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. See, there's something beyond you and your marriage. And that's the reputation of Christ. That's higher. But in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, and fastings, by pureness, and then it says, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, 
by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known as dying. And behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Man, that, there's the power. The world can't claim that. We can claim some amazing things that's in overcoming. Your circumstances, who knows what might happen. You can have all the best circumstances. We just talked about Tom Brady and his wife. <laughs> How does that fall apart? Knowledge to know her. I heard a pastor, you know, probably heard him, Ron Ralph. Like I tell you, he's a country preacher. He just tells it how he is. He's just kind of rough around the edges. You might kind of like how he, how he preaches. And he got to this portion and he says, they have knowledge of her. It says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And he said, what is knowledge? He said, oh, it could be this. Could be, I have no idea. It's kind of funny how he came out with it, you know, but I think I understand what knowledge is. What's your favorite flower, favorite food? Anticipating her needs, understanding her emotions. It's a lot of work. You know, men, we kind of want them to know us. We have our little pity parties when she puts the mustard next to the cheese. And Mom will know what that means. You know, I don't like mustard on the cheese. I just don't like that flavor. And sure enough, I've been married so many years, and I'll get a sandwich. A mustard and cheese. She never get it right. You know? I don't expect her to. But I need to know her. Psalm 84:11. For the God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Luke 11:13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I want you to turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Mike's been preaching through the Psalms. And uh, you're going to see some similar things here. I want to look at this Psalm through, through the picture of marriage, through Christ and His church. And I want you to see the differences of the two. I think you'll see some very interesting things here. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Mike went into a little detail. I hope you were listening of what that blessing means. But I want to focus in on, in on one at a time here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it says, and forget not all His benefits. man is to give the benefits. I want you to see this as the husband now. Who, for, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, 
who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. You may see yourself failing here, husbands. I'm pictured in Christ. Sat, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Go down to verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Does that describe you, husband? Slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. Apparently he chides sometimes. <laughs> Neither will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, And he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. From those who maybe had a past before marriage. That's an important verse right there. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13, like as a father, father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now pitieth comes from the Hebrew word, Rakam, a primitive word to fondle by implication to love, especially compassionate, have compassion on, or to show mercy, to have pity. For he knoweth our frame. He remember that we are but dust. We know who our wives are. They're the weaker vessel. We know that and we treat them as such. Now, here's the list of things he wants from us. What are the things that are important to the husband in this? And I'm going to pull these out of this same Psalm in 103. Let's go to verse uh, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and that all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There you go, women. How are you doing so far? <laughs> Verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now I hope you was in Sunday school and you was listening of what that fear is. It's not a bad thing. Verse 18. To such as keep his covenant. Are you keeping his covenant? And to those that remember his commandments to do them when he asks you to do things. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, verse 20, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Verse 21, bless ye the Lord, ye ministers of his. Do his pleasure. Bless the Lord. All his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We both have it hard, but it's just because it's not natural to our thinking. But if you get the picture of this, you can see, you can begin to see and get yourself in the position that you need to be as husband and or wife. What does the husband desire and seek? Devotion, praise, and reverence, 
trusted and obeyed, worthy for he has given his life as Christ gave for the church. Devotion, praise, and worship. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Now, there's a lot of things I would seek for my sons and their marriage. But I believe they've found this type of lady, somebody they can trust in. That's humongous. It's what they want. Exodus 20, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord God, so you understand, women, am a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Nahum 1, 2, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Proverbs 6.32 says, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and a dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. I'll tell you what, that's a sign of a weakening marriage when a husband isn't jealous over his wife. I hope you're, you're not ever in that case. I've seen it where a husband will just parade his wife like a, like a picture for everybody to see. That's not a good sign, folks. James 4.1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill, and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. And here's, here's the statement. Here's the picture. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? You see what a man wants, begin to see what he wants from a wife. That's funny because I see wives flounder around with all the wrong things. But it happens the other way, too. But I want you to turn to the book of Esther. Turn to the book of Esther. Now, I'll tell you what, this is just going to be too long. I'm going to have to find a stopping place here. And, um, but Esther gives some, some pretty good accounts to establish what I've just told you and the husband and the wife and, and the things there. It's a, it's a good representation here. All right. Well, let's just end this right here. I think you've had enough to chew on, to choke on. <laughs>
we need to get the picture of who Christ is and who the church is and what each of them are to be. And when we get that right, you're going to have a supernatural marriage. Any other way, it's up to circumstances, it's up to your strength, it's up to whatever, you will, you will be no stronger than what the world is in marriage. And we're seeing that today. I think this is an appropriate thing to be preaching in this, in this day because we are failing. I'm, I'm seeing it. And I desire in this church or where this word goes that it would keep people from failing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists coming to play. As we are trying to gain pictures, and you say, well, you know, I'm not married. I'm blah, blah. You know, this is a picture of Christ. We're talking about Christ here. <laughs> We're exalting him. We can see just how we are to him in our personal relationship, but it could also be reflecting in how your marriage is. How do you see your husband? How do you see your wife? Do you know them? Do you understand them? Are you working to get in position as the bride and as the bridegroom? Or are you working at some type of mutual benefit and are you crabbing and crying about what you don't get in it? Sorry to be so blunt, folks. That's a, that's a road downhill. You might say a road downhill. You might not be wishing I had another hour to, but uh, we'll pick this back up next week. And um, I think I think the Holy Spirit, if you allow Him to really uh, teach you some things, some things maybe you never thought of before, and to get you where you need to be, and that you would have not just a surviving marriage, but a successful one. And and I think I said this before, but you know, out of, this might be the only value made before God. And to follow through with that vow. You may have one part of the marriage that's completely fallen apart, not doing their part. And you overcome. You're showing a picture of Christ. We are not anything worthy of him. We fail him every day. As I go through these things, I, I look at my life and I think, whoa, if I see that, how am I to him? How, how does he still love me? And he does. Hey, there's some big stuff in here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. I pray your Holy Spirit has spoke to our hearts in only ways that you can. Some wonderful things in here if we get it all right.
powerful things. And it's because of Jesus Christ. He's the mystery revealed in marriage. Father, may we love you more today than we did yesterday. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.